Hello and welcome to episode 9 of series 3 of the Poolside Pass podcast. On today's show, I'm going to be speaking with a fellow podcaster, Chris DeSantis, who coaches at the Jersey Wahoos in New Jersey, the USA. Um, Also spent time coaching in Denmark um, and all around the the US, I guess, at Georgia Tech. I guess he spent uh, a a lot of time there coaching um, before he moved out to to Denmark. Um, Chris is just, you know, like like the rest of us, I guess, a coach, a swimming coach, um, but also... You know, has a lot of knowledge around positive psychology and, and sports psychology. Um, but, you know, I guess a lot of what he does now is or has been doing over the last few years is podcasting, but also consulting on how coaches can coach a little bit more effectively. I had a great conversation with Chris. Um, but before we dive into that, here's a quick line from our sponsors, Streamlined. Become a qualified swimming teacher with Streamlined in as little as six days. Learn at your own pace and be guided by our expert tutors. You can do your training face-to-face, online in real time, or a combination of the two. Assessment can be in your club using videos or attending one of our assessment venues. We offer tailored, high-quality support. Quote the poolside pass for an extra 10% discount. Ready? Born ready. Let's go. Okay, so I think it's about time I introduce Chris. Chris DeSantis, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Just another beautiful uh, spring morning. Well, not quite spring morning here in uh, New Jersey. Morning for you, afternoon for me, as we've just discovered there's even a different time between us this week than there was last week because you change your clocks at a weird time. So, um, yeah, this is well similar to what we spoke about last week on your show, how me and Eddie Reese were playing Miss Cool Tennis for about... <laughs> A couple of days before we managed to record an episode it's the same with this with this one so i'm becoming an expert in in that right now and in, in right. missing people at the wrong time um, i like that i like that analogy me and eddie reese are just basically the same that, that's a good I, i'll <laughs> take that <laughs> so um i've got a, like a few things to ask you today some of them about your coaching career others a little bit more light-hearted i guess in terms of just talking, chewing the fat, as we like to say over here. Mm-hmm. The first one is obviously the club you coach at now is the Jersey Wahoos. Yep. What is a Wahoo? Uh, <laughs> I, th- <laughs> I think it's some kind of large fish uh, that, you know, like some kind of sport fish that, you know, you if you're like a really good... I, th- I think it's a very, very, very large fish, like something that's like big and powerful and pretty hard to catch. But actually, I, I have no idea what a wahoo is. Because over here, we have clubs that like name themselves like something sharks, penguins, sure. barracudas, piranhas. But right. we have no wahoos over here. So it's a new one to me. It must be. I mean, it must be an American. I think, it. you know, just by the name, I'm guessing it's an American uh, type of fish and yeah, there's all sorts of, I grew up swimming on a team called the Barracudas. And, all right. you know, uh, if you logged up uh, the, the, the 1998 version of whatever the web page, like it would play, you know, have you ever heard that song? Like, ooh, Barracuda. Dun, 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 dun. You know, probably, you're way too young to have ever heard that I was song. born in 97, so probably not heard that. No. <laughs> it's like, it's definitely from the 19... 80s maybe 1970s that song would 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 load up when we did it and when i coached in denmark 
we had a seahorse. We weren't called the seahorses, but he had a seahorse for a mascot. And I was like, guys, was this some sort of contest to find the least like inspiring, least like powerful, you know, aquatic animal we could have to represent our team? And I was walking around with a big seahorse on my shirt everywhere. <laughs> wow. So now we've established what a wahoo is. Why don't you tell us Not about... Really. <laughs> well, we've <laughs> speculated about what a wahoo might be. Uh, why don't you tell us about your job with the Jersey Wahoos? What are you doing? Who are you coaching? And how are you coaching? Yeah, so I, uh, in essence, uh, along with Paul Donovan, the co-chair, created my job. Um, so it was something that didn't exist prior to, uh, well, it's like pieces of it existed, but the, 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 the greater job didn't exist, uh, prior to me starting work here, um, to, to, to back it up, like, you know, since we're all celebrating our, celebrating our one year, uh, COVID anniversary a year ago, um, my job as it were was that, um, I had started a business in, in 2016 called Chris DeSantis Coaching. Um, and that was built around uh, mainly uh, myself consulting with uh, swimming teams. So both collegiate and club swimming programs, uh, specifically like sort of providing a, a bolt-on positive psychology piece to what they were doing. So I would travel out to the club. I'd speak to, for instance, if it was a club environment, I'd speak with coaches, I'd speak with athletes, I'd speak with parents. I'd do all of those. Um, if it was a college team, obviously I wouldn't be talking to anybody's parents, um, but I would spend time with everybody. I would uh, deliver some sort of some sort of training, some some new pieces of knowledge, also sort of walk them through how to use it. Um, and then I would have sort of a distance period where I was checking in and sort of seeing how things would progress and I would go back to visit them. That is all to say, like a year ago, I had worked with four division one uh, college programs here in the US. And then I, I had a couple club programs that I was working to. And I was um, in the process of expanding it out uh, to a bigger group. I was, I've told people this, I was standing on deck at the college swim coaches invitational meet, which is sort of like the just below NCAA level competition and, you know, chewing the fat, pressing the flesh, uh, whatever you want to say with some swim, college swim coaches about coming to uh, work with their teams the next year. Um, very quickly, COVID changed all that, right? Yeah. Um, and there was an opportunity to do some of this stuff virtually, but personally, I was not interested in it. Um, you know, just uh, part of uh, the thing when you're working in the psychology space is, you know, um, you also have to uh, practice really good uh, self-care. And I knew that what I, I was at my happiest when I was out visiting a team. Yeah. talking to a coach, talking to someone. It's like, I was having a really good time. And the number one thing that I enjoyed about my job was doing that. Um, and the, the thing that I missed probably more than anything else was that I had these long breaks. Like I would go visit a team and then it'd be three weeks at home, you know, talking to people on the phone. It just wasn't the same, right? And so I knew that 
if I were to transition exactly what I was doing into a Zoom only format, that there would be a business model for it, but that I would be miserable doing it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, Jersey Wahoos was one of my uh, club clients and uh, uh, they were the closest one geographically to me, but also um, I had just found I'd really hit it off well with Paul. Um, it's not somebody that I knew before he started coaching here at Wahoos. Um, obviously he was coaching in Ireland at that time, um, but he's just a sort of type of person that every time I got to talking swimming with him, like we could just go on, we could start at one o'clock in the afternoon. And if, if somebody, if life didn't interrupt us, we could go straight through the night, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just keep, keep, keep going. And so um, I, I said to myself, like, I would like to go to a place and work day to day uh, with swimmers and athletes. And I'd like to do it at Wahoos because I felt so strongly uh, about Paul and our, our interactions there. So I started, I said to him, you know, it started with just a conversation. I said, probably in uh, May or June, I said to Paul, what would you think about, you know, me working as a full-time employee at Wahoos? Um, and I caught him a little bit off guard with that. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's not something he was expecting. I was still doing some consulting work for them at the time. Um, he had urged me, he was like, you know, we can start working on something, but I think you should have some other options. Uh, and, you know, to his credit, I, he wasn't, um, now that I'm working here, I know that he wasn't just trying to put me off from, from working here, but, you know, that he actually sort of uh, cared about me and thought like, you know, you shouldn't just have sort of one egg in your basket. And we started working very slowly because of the, the, the stresses of the pandemic, we started very, working very slowly collaboratively to come up with something. So this is all my long backup to get to what am I actually doing here, the question that you asked. And that is, um, my job is basically 50% coaching and 50% non-traditional coaching. So on the coaching end, um, I'm the responsible coach for what's called high school squad here on Jersey Wahoos. So these are swimmers that, um, and we have a group that's sort of also in there, it's called high school prep. Um, the prep group is seventh and eighth graders. Um, the high school squad are obviously ninth through 12th graders, high school kids here in the US. Um, kids that for any number of, like I'm gonna generalize here, three reasons may not be in our, uh, our Horizon One, which is our, our sort of top age group program or national squad, which is our top senior program. So it could be, could be performance reasons that I don't swim as fast as the swimmers in there. It could be uh, a question of time commitment. They have stuff outside of swimming that they wanna do. They don't wanna commit the amount of time that those other groups um, demand, or um, they simply don't have the training level uh, to keep up with the practices that are happening in those other places. So I've taken over um, that coaching wise. And then the, the non-coaching end of it, um, I made up a title for myself. I called myself the, the, the director of personal development. And the idea was, um, again, bring the, the kind of positive psychology work I was doing 
into the team and make it an integrated part of a team rather than a consultant coming from the outside and doing stuff, actually embed it um, within a club structure. And I give Paul a lot of credit. There's basically, I can't um, name another club that is uh, that has put as much resources into embedding something like that um, and, and making it like paying a full-time employee to do that kind of work. Um, I think it's incredibly valuable. I know Paul does as well. Um, and so it was basically uh, the, the other part of it has been that embedding process, doing some work with our coaches here, um, both in the way that they coach, but also in the way that they uh, manage themselves, doing some work with athletes throughout the team, doing some stuff um, with the parents to give them, give them guidance for um, how to sort of best use their energy around swimming. So that's, that's sort of the, 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 the biggest pieces of, of what I do here. Cool. So it seems like, I guess, like way back when you started coaching, you was just like involved with coaching and yep. then you took a step away and went into more kind of sports psychology consultancy. And now you're doing the best of both. Yeah. I mean, I, so I got, I got my education when I was starting my coaching career. And, and the idea was just like, I will use this to be a better swim coach yeah. myself. I like, I, I have, have always wanted to be a swim coach, you know, since age 14. Yeah. Like that was, um, as I say, sometimes much to my parents' chagrin, you know, like my, my ambition, it's something that I really enjoy. It's something that gives me, you know, gives me a lot of meaning in life. But yes, initially I just thought this is just for me. And what taking a step away, why, why that was really valuable was it sort of forced me to get out of that. Cause when you're just coaching every day, you just coach, 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 coach. You don't have that reflection time. You don't have that time to sort of like, think about like, what else could I do here? It's always sort of, and I have to fight this now, even now is that my attention naturally flows towards who I'm coaching, you know, what we're doing in practice today, how practice was yesterday and all this stuff. And I have to consciously pull back to bigger picture items or I'll just, I'll just brush right past them and put all my resources into coaching. So we're going to, I think we're going to go on to talk about different parts, different parts of, of your career. We spoke last week on, on your show, The Swim Brief, about USRPT mm -hmm. and about how, when you were, were early, early in your, in your coaching development, you used USRPT, am I right? Yeah. So I would say, um, like early coach, I would say I didn't use USRPT, but I, I used informal USRPT. That is, I had not read about USRPT, but the, the basic building block of what I was trying to do training wise was race pace training. That's right. what I considered to be sort of the most valuable part of any practice I was administering. And then I did have a period where I did, despite all the trash we talked about it last week, I did have a coaching, I had a very brief period where I did strict USRPT. Like I think, strict, strict USRPT. So, so on this show, on your show, I think I spoke a little bit more freely than I might do on, on my own show. Right. Um, I've always tried with the poolside pass to try and be a little bit 
unbiased in the yeah. information we put out and make will allow coaches to read our resources, listen to our podcast, use that information to form their, their own opinions. What, what did you learn from your time using USRPT about it? And then what were your thoughts? You know, what, what do you do differently now and why? I would say the first thing I learned is um, uh, don't, don't change to strict USRPT in the middle of a year uh, when you're coaching in a foreign country and um, trying to transition a group of really, really good age groupers to junior and senior swimming. I mean, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I say that kind of half jokingly, but um, it, there are some parts of it that worked really, really well. And like, I, like, I believe that at the time, like I, I, and you listen to podcasts where I sort of get into greater um, depth on this. I have never delivered a practice that I don't really believe in. Mm -hmm. So uh, when I was doing really strict USRPT, I believed in it wholeheartedly. And like you said, as far as unbiased information, um, I think, you know, it, when you sort of fully commit to something, then you can really evaluate what works and what doesn't work. So I would say um, what I learned from USRPT is it, it, it tends to kind of, in many cases, not every case, but in general, so I'm going to make some generalizations about it. Um, it tends to invert a little bit who's going to be successful on your team. Like I think if you run a high volume program, which I would say um, is, is somewhat on the other end from USRPT, you're going to have certain people that just can, that just get a really good training effect from that. Um, those are probably not going to be the same people that are going to thrive under a USRPT system. And you probably have people, if you're in a high volume program, people who are flailing around trying to do your high volume workouts and they may have an opportunity to thrive in a USRPT environment. Um, and so these just sort of like, a part of it I think for sure has to do with the uh, personnel that you have. The second thing is, um, I think that there are psychological advantages uh, and disadvantages to training different ways. I think that, for instance, one of the things that I learned, I would say about USRPT is that, um, and I said this on, when we discussed on the podcast, I think it's really, really, really good training on paper. I think it's almost impossible to execute properly, um, especially for the swimmers you know, coaches is his own challenge, but, but for the swimmers, it's, it's very, very hard to execute properly. And if you can get people to do it mostly properly, it's very, very hard to get them to continue doing it over an extended period of time. So you might get them. And that's partially just because of a bit of the relentless nature of it, of sort of showing up and uh, going after that race pace um, on a day in, day out basis, um, as much as we would like to adjust for that as coaches and, and sort of uh, retreat back to 
several kind of like fail safes and redoubts. It's, it's very, very challenging, I would say, to execute properly. Um, and, and so, you know, one of the challenges that you end up with is if you have a swimmer that starts that maybe, maybe like they're very successful with it. And then all of a sudden um, they have one or two or three bad practices in a row. It can be really hard to steer them back on track. And you can end up with people who just sort of get into a, a deep fuck. Not to say that can't happen in a high volume program like that, that for certain can happen. But I think that um, there's, it's, it's a bit easier to get somebody back into the flow of things um, in, in a, in a non USRPT setting. So how do you coach now? Do you still use elements of it now within your program or is it something that you've kind of gone away from using altogether? I still definitely use it. Like, uh, for instance, this year, as I said on my own podcast, like I've been running a high volume program. Um, I last night, um, when I, when I recorded the podcast a couple of weeks ago, where I talked about it, um, I had a, a 5,800 yard practice in 90 minutes last night with my group, we did 6,000 yards, um, in 90 minutes. So, um, and I sort of go, get into the definition of what a high volume program is, but I have still, um, one, one of the ways I've used USRPT this year is like, I had a group that, um, was I would say like their their kicking skill was not uh, aligned with their swimming speed. So for the for the for the performance level they had, for instance, in freestyle, like a, you say, um, let's say we have a kid that goes fifty three in the hundred free. I would say his kicking level was below average for a fifty three hundred. 53 second, hundred yard freestyler. Yeah. Um, and what I found was when I tried, if I tried to get in and have them do a bunch of hundred repeat kicks, the quality was really, really low. Um, even on distances up to a hundred. So I did quite a bit of basically traditional USRPT sets. Cause I think that actually, like I also had this experience of coaching a high school team over here and kids that don't swim year round that just train for like a 12 week season and try to do as well. I think USRPT is perfect for that. Yeah. Like I think you take a bunch of novice people and you want to get them up and going on something and you just want to get them some momentum going forward. I think it's really, really, really effective. So I, I trans, I transferred that experience to getting uh, the group that I was coaching up to a higher um, competency level and skill level. So at the outset, basically every time we did kick, it was a USRPT style set. I was setting paces for them. I had rest intervals that were um, roughly what you would do in a USRPT set. And um, I, I used that as a building block. And for, we're, we're, we're many months into it. It's still sort of a fundamental part um, of how we kick. And next month, um, because of the group that I've been training, I, I just saw like, one of the reasons I've gotten into volume stuff is because I just had a group that um, as my evaluation of them was that 
again, in some ways, a very novice group, even though they're, they're older swimmers, they were not used to training for 90 minutes. So um, one of the things that a higher volume thing got them doing was just in the habit of swimming yeah. for the whole practice, yeah. right? And like having a, a long extended set continuous work and they've gotten a tremendous benefit from that very, very basic thing. But next month I am going to transition. Um, I'm probably, I probably push the volume um, almost as much as I can for the time being with this group. Um, and we're going to bring back in some more race specific stuff. And um, I think that, that like the USRPT models for how to build a set have a ton of applicability when you go to actually want to train uh, race pace, which basically every coach does want to do. Does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, to that, it's, it's really, really valuable. Cool. So I think like that's probably a, a similar kind of philosophy to how where I'm at right now in terms of like, well, first of all, I've never run a USRPT program, so I haven't got that background. But like in terms of, you know, just from the reading I've done around USRPT, uh, some people will call me stupid for not believing that you can run USRPT on its own, right? Mm -hmm. And some people will think, well, that's a very valid point to take up as well, right? But I would, I believe some of the stuff in USRPT is great for when you're entering that part of the season when you're trying to train an event. But I just, I don't have confidence that you could use it as a standalone model. And I think, I think we're, we're kind of similar on, on that stance. Um, let me know if I've barked up the wrong tree there. No, I, I, I think so for sure. And I, I'm wondering if the soul, the whole kind of USRPT fad is, is basically over whether uh, whether it's sort of gone through a process where a lot of things have gone, which is something new gets introduced, it get, garners a lot of attention. There's a lot of people who are sort of going full bore on it. I'm one of those people that went full bore on it. And over time, it sort of like gets absorbed back in. You know, I think yeah. there's probably, I just notice anecdotally, I don't have any data to back this up, that there's less and less people that are strictly doing it and more and more people that are trending back more towards something that they might have done prior to USRPT, but with some carryover from yeah. doing USRPT. I think and, and people who never previously did USRPT are also finding a way yeah. to incorporate it. I think that's just the way I look at coaching though, is that I don't try and follow one specific model. I just try and take the good bits from different models and mush them together and hope that hopefully it works. And then like Eddie Reese says, if it doesn't work, don't do it. So, <laughs> so uh, I, I think this this training, I've always thought this, and I thought this even when I was doing strict USRPT, I, I, I think people like, I see people get so upset like online or, you know, about the structure of practices and it almost feels like religious to me. Yeah. You know, like, like, like they're de debating Islam versus Christianity in terms of like what you do in a swim practice. And I just think like, it's actually, um, this is probably the most heretical thing I say is that it's just actually not that important. You know, we obsess over the structure of practice because it's something we can all measure and understand and look it. at, you know, they, yeah. they, they do, but it's not, it's not, it's not the real thing in coaching, you know, like, so, um, 
and it, and and I can look at a workout on paper, like I can look at Dave Salo's work uh, workout on paper. You know, he can provide a workout or whatever. I have no idea how he actually delivered it. Mm. You know, how he coached it, how yeah. he adjusted it for some swimmers in the water, how you know, um, how he evaluated whether they did well on it, like all the really important stuff. I don't know from looking at a workout on a page. So. Yeah. Okay, cool. So hopefully that's the last we're going to talk about USRPT on this show. Yeah. Well, on this particular episode anyway. <laughs> um, you spent some time coaching in, in Denmark. Yep. Tell us, and, and we found out when you was in Denmark earlier that you ran some USRPT. We're not going to speak about that. Let's talk right. about what did you, what was your experience like coaching in a different country with people that speak a different language sometimes like what was your experience as just an, an english speaking coach going into a country where english is not their first language and having to, to coach people was co coaches about communication so what was your experience with that well so the the first thing i'll say is actually i speak danish oh do you? Um, yes i i, I <laughs> so i'm a citizen of denmark i there's a long story that you can read on my personal blog about how i found out i was always a danish citizen because when I was coaching there, I was actually there as a foreign resident. But I've just recently found out I've been a Danish citizen my whole life. My mom was born in Denmark. So I've been in Denmark every summer of my life. I wouldn't say like, you know, Denmark is one of those countries where they're really, really hard on you language wise. So a Danish person would not say that I am fluent in Danish, right? I would say I, I can pretty much hold any kind of serious conversation, but I didn't coach. I didn't actually basically end up coaching in Danish. All right. I ended up coaching in English. I had a very weird, just on the communication front, um, I ended up in a very unusual situation where I would say I coached primarily in English. The swimmers communicated to me primarily in Danish. So if you went up like saw us talking poolside, you'd hear me giving feedback in English and then a swimmer, you know, blah, 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 back to me in Danish. Very kind of weird sight. Like right. okay, yeah. <laughs> if you ran into it, these two people that are speaking different languages to each other, but that's always been ever since I was a little kid, I, I, I always had a natural shyness about speaking Danish because um, I blame the Danes because they make you feel so self-conscious. Like I, I see the shift in people's faces when, because I, um, it's native enough to me that sometimes I can pass as a Danish person, right? But then I see that I've slightly mispronounced one word and I see their face change like, oh, you're not Danish. You're not Danish. <laughs> <laughs> and I get like that, that breaks my heart. Um, and so it, it makes me uh, habitually not want to uh, do it. But I would say I, I've told many people this. The experience of coaching in Denmark was 50 percent the most amazing thing I've ever done and 50% the most frustrated I've ever been in my life. Okay. What was frustrating for you? Um, where do we start? Like we, if we know we could go two hours on this, it's the most <laughs> frustrating thing in my life. So let me get the, let me, so two, two things that I will uh, try and highlight. I'll, I'll say the first thing that was incredibly frustrating was I had a very long lead up process to starting work in Denmark. 
So I actually signed a contract to start coaching in March, 2013. I signed that contract in June of 2012. So it's nine months from when I agreed to work at a place to when I actually started work at the place. Um, and I had signed a contract with the number one at that time and pretty much still to this day club program in Denmark, a club called Sigma Swim Club um, that's north of Copenhagen, has a, a long uh, uh, tradition of success like Anton Ibsen, that was his home club growing up there. But if you just go back in history, like they've always had um, international caliber swimmers coming up through the program. So um, basically this was my dream job. And uh, you know, like I had taken a chance on, on looking for jobs in Denmark. I'd actually been put some feelers out and been contacted by Sigma. And then had this long negotiation process that took over three months, I came over to Denmark. I spent a couple days looking up everything and, and seeing stuff in person. And I thought like, wow, what a dream. I'm going to go do this. Um, and, and, you know, I spent the whole rest of the year. I was still coaching at Georgia Tech for the rest of the year because, you know, I didn't, um, out of sort of loyalty, I didn't want to leave Georgia Tech in, uh, in the middle of, or so at, at the outset of a season. I think the, if I look back, Sigma wanted me to start at mid-year. And I said, oh, I can't, you know, start a college season and leave in the middle of a college season. So you'd have to wait until the end of the season. They said, fine. Um, so I finished out college season and I got there. And pretty much from day one, what I thought was my dream job turned into a complete nightmare. Wow. Um, <laughs> I... I, I've, I've, I've told this probably never on a podcast. So you're getting this first run of this story. And I've done a hot, exclusive, okay? I landed in Denmark on a Thursday, okay? Friday, uh, I believe I attended uh, the Danish team championship, okay? Um, they have a team championship every year, you know, you get a certain number of swimmers in the meet, you count up FINA points, whoever has the most FINA points is crowned Danish champion. Second, it came to the second day of the meet, uh, Sigma won, their Danish national champion. It's a great start hey, that was a, your career. So. Yeah, like, I'm like, again, dream. This is the dream job. And I, but of course I'm like, I can't take any credit for this. I've shown up on Thursday, right? But, <laughs> but, but, and then, we have an all staff meeting, that's Saturday. We have an all staff meeting on Monday, okay? Um, and throughout this process, something that looking back that I was very naive about was, I was meant to go coach uh, the senior group. Now they already had a head coach who was coaching the senior group. And he was not particularly keen on me coming to coach there, but I've been trying to communicate with him that like, hey, I'm not here to like ruin your life. I'm here to make your life better. I want to work together. Like we can figure this out. And we'd gotten to like a decent place, right? But I show up to this all staff meeting on a Monday and he's not there. It was my first, should have been my first warning. He's not there. And second warning, the entire board of the team is there. And me and every other coach. And I'm 
of course, I've never been to a staff meeting before. So I go like, maybe this is normal, you know, or, <laughs> or you know, Simon's sick today. You know, you had a meet over the weekend, you know, like, blah, 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 blah. So board says, you're probably wondering why we've all gathered you here. I'm thinking, yeah, actually, now that you mention it. Um, and they go, uh, Simon has decided he's not going to coach with the, this is the head coach, Simon. Uh, he's decided he's not going to coach with the club anymore. Go, wow, okay. Uh, they go, but don't worry, we've already found a new head coach. And I tell people this off podcast, this is the first time I'm saying it on podcast. I was dumb enough that I sat there and the, in the time between them saying, don't worry, we've already found somebody. I thought, wow, well, they haven't said anything to me, but I, I guess I am ready to take over things. <laughs> and then they announced the new head coach. It was not me. <laughs> it was a man named uh, Carlos uh, Subarana. He'd formerly been a, a coach at the um, at Club Sabadell, really, really great club in Spain. Yeah. Um, he'd coached the National Training Center in Spain. Uh, Carlos is going to be the head coach. And like immediately, I was sort of like, what does this mean for me? And, and effectively what it meant for me was I had the, what I had signed on to was to come on and coach in tandem with this other guy, Simon, the new, the new uh, format was Carlos is my boss and I have to find a way to execute what he wants. And Oh, by the way, you spoke about language barriers at the beginning. He does not speak any English or Danish. I would imagine or Danish. <laughs> and I don't speak any Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> so so now what followed was like three months of me trying to make that situation work you know because i had committed a lot you know yeah. a, a, a great cost had moved over um my wife landed three weeks after i did and said oh by the way i'm pregnant it was our first child um so it's an incredibly stressful frustrating period of my life um and ultimately I couldn't make it work. And I left to coach uh, the team that I ended up on Gentofte after three months oh, living wow. in Denmark. So I changed jobs three months into it. And I changed jobs again, like as opposed to the other one where there was months of preparation and discussions. Uh, I, I changed jobs in one day. Like that, yeah. I left from literally from considering as an option to deciding to do it was a 24 hour time period. Wow. And I just jumped to something else. And, um, you know, so that meant that there was a number of things that I didn't really get a chance to take a look at before I started at this new club, like whether I was going to like this or that or the other thing. Um, I, I can say that I really did not get along with uh, the then age group coach of the team. Um, he's actually the head coach of the club now in Gentofte, and he's just been named Danish coach of the year. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> so he's he's doing very well there but i him and i um chemistry wise we were we were a really poor match um and so that was that was a really frustrating part of living there the immigration situation just like um again because i was living there as a foreign resident unknowing of my own uh danish birthright citizenship um you know i got like a very sternly because i had changed jobs and my uh, residence was tied to mm. specifically my job. Yeah, I got a very sternly worded letter that uh, threatened me with deportation, like a week before my daughter was born. 
um, and had to go sort all that out. You know, my, my club got taken to court in Denmark for employing an illegal ale. I mean, it was just, there was a lot, it felt like there was constant crisis mode in that regard. Um, and that was incredibly frustrating given um, how exciting otherwise, as I said, the, the job was. Wow. Yeah. So uh, definitely a roller coaster ride you in, in Denmark. Yes. Following on from that, like when you returned to the States, was that when you set up your consultancy business? Yeah, I started it pretty much from the moment we, uh, actually maybe even a little bit before we got back to the US. I mean, uh, and I had an idea that I was going to do it and it was one of the motivating factors for moving to the US because um, there's just not really a business model for that sort of thing in in Denmark. you know, I think one of the real strengths of a country like Denmark is they provide really good services for people. Like some being on a swim club is very cheap yeah. in comparison to the U.S. Provide really good services to people. So there's not a lot of people that are looking to pay a lot of money for an additional service. Whereas in the U.S., um, your sort of general public services are 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 exactly. not at the same level, right? Yeah. And so. Um, there's, there's, if you want to start a business and you want to try to fill some of the gaps of what's out there, there is an opportunity. Um, so I did start that. And the other factor was, um, you know, I, um, you know, I've, I've, I've actually probably to this point, uh, in our conversation underplayed, um, the role that, you know, my partnership with, with my wife played in all of this. Um, she's always been a really big supporter of my swimming career. She was uh, played a huge role in us going to Denmark. I mean, that was a decision that we made together. And quite frankly, if I had been left alone to make it, I probably wouldn't have gone. Yeah. You know, she was the type of person who goes like, let's go on an adventure, right? And I'm sort of like, oh, it seems like it might be too hard, you know, like, <laughs> no, let's go for it, right? But we'd reached a point where, we had met up in Philadelphia where I was coaching at the University of Pennsylvania and she was going to graduate school. She had moved with me to Atlanta to coach at Georgia Tech. She'd moved with me to Denmark so I could coach in Denmark. And we got to a point like, let's move someplace that's going to be convenient for your career. And we, so we moved to the New York City area. We live in Jersey City now, but just across the water from New York City. Um, geographically for coaching swimming, it's an awful area. <laughs> it's just an awful, awful place to live. And so um, uh, that, that forced me to be a little bit creative. And I thought like, how can I make it a strength, this area of living in? Well, one way is you could build a business that uh, involves travel. It's really easy to fly places, you can fly anywhere from New York yeah. City, right? And um, so that involves, you know, me getting out and around into a bunch of other places um, and also, wouldn't it be a great learning experience for me? Like you were talking about on my podcast, you know, you had the idea of the, of the podcast of traveling around to places, interviewing people. I mean, I, I both believe that I did valuable work, um, at, at the places that I coached and, and helped swimmers and athletes and, and parents, but I also got a lot out of it. I got a lot out of, I went to all sorts of corners of the United States that I never would have gone to you know, spoke, uh, uh, Pullman, Washington, where Washington state is, uh, located. I got to go to Texas. Um, you know, even, 
seeing Wahoos on the other side of the state wasn't necessarily something I was naturally going to do. So um, I really believe it was, a, it was an incredibly valuable learning period for me. And it's helped me a ton now that I'm back to normal coaching in terms of sort of progressing my coaching along. So talking now about your podcast, yeah. I, was, I was a guest on your podcast last week and this next question is quite loaded. Okay. Who's the number one guest you've had on your podcast? <laughs> now you're turning the tables on me for my, my evil uh, Greg Troy question, uh, yeah. Bob Bowman question that I asked you. Um, well, I can tell you the person who I've had on more times than other, and actually she's, she's, uh, I, I, I can't get into the story right now because she's not even speaking to me at the moment. <laughs> no, but seriously. Um, but I had a, I had a, uh, one of the things that I've done here in the U.S. is um, I, I've done a lot of advocacy around uh, abuse, sexual abuse, um, and uh, sort of recognition and countermeasures towards it in coaching. Cause it's really important to me. Yeah. Um, as I said, I've been passionate about coaching since a very young age and I just see, you know, uh, uh, and you've probably seen it as well uh, as, as more and more information comes out, it's very damaging to our profession to realize how much, uh, bad stuff has gone on. Yeah. 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 And, um, so I had the opportunity one of the situations that I got into um, when I was running my own business and, and podcasting and doing this was um, I got invited to speak at a conference in Texas. And the guy who invited me, um, it was really the, the LSC local swimming committee, which is sort of name for these little sub USA swimming areas oh, here. That's what LSC is. Yes. A local swimming committee. A local swimming committee. You know, like we have New Jersey swimming. We're in the middle Atlantic. We're the mid-Atlantic region of the United States. Yeah. You have yeah, the yeah, Potomac yeah. Valley swimming, blah, blah, blah. So this was golf swimming. Um, but the guy who was heading up this golf committee, he worked at a club um, called Magnolia Aquatic Club. It's a USA swimming gold medal club year in, year out. Um, but uh, he had a coach that was working there that... Um, a, I read about a woman who had accused him of sexually abusing her as a kid. And so I had this knowledge that like the guy that I'm communicating with down there um, must also sort of have some awareness, at least of this accusation. And I'm going down to see him. And through somebody else, I got introduced to the, the woman who was accusing coach she was a swim coach her name herself her name was uh, Sarah E. Kircher and um, I got really interested in her story and just like sort of following all the processes of it she made a complaint against USA Swimming she'd had a hearing so I just wanted to hear about all of that so I think I've had her like if I told you I did about a hundred podcasts before pandemic and now I've done I don't know 15 or 16 more I started back up again in November yeah. Um, I, I think I had her on six. Oh, wow. That's at a, least six that's podcasts. So, yeah, yeah. so she probably would be um, 
in that in that sense, my number one podcast guest. Awesome. Wow. Okay. So flipping it then. Now I think I know the answer to this one. And I think you would dealt another blow this week with another swimming podcast landing this coach. But who would you want to get on your podcast? <laughs> so we're talking about Terry McKeever, right? Yeah. Is the, is the, is the insinuation here. And and by the way, don't think like I have a Thursday podcast with my two friends, Eric and Joel, when we just sort of, you know, talk through news topics and have a bunch of banter and stuff. And of course, I'm always like, I've told people, Jamie, that my number one takeaway from talking to you on the podcast is that I need to take more shots in terms of inviting people. Yeah. Like you, when you told me, like, I bomb out 12 invitations at a time, I go, that's really smart. Um, and I, I know that my natural tendency is that I talk myself out of inviting people. So I'll either go, you know, oh, that person probably won't want to come without even asking them, right? Which is stupid. Um, or worse yet, I will go, I don't know if I really, I don't know if I'll really like talking to that person. And by the way, I've done, what did I just say? About 120 of these. Yeah. I've never walked away from one going, that sucked. Yeah. I always go like, I always go away pleasantly surprised. I go like, that was actually really fun. Like that was, that was really good. You know, so you'd think at some point I would learn that that second response where I go, ah, I'm probably not going to enjoy that is, is wrong. That yeah. Basically anybody I'm thinking about inviting is another person who like is in the swimming world, wants to talk about swimming. And I could do that all day and night. Yeah. And so um, I think I'll enjoy that. And, and so that is to say to my friends, I said, I said to them like, okay, I need to start inviting more people. Who should I invite? Immediately they go, okay, I invite Terry, invite her, invite her. My problem, there's my last objection that I need to overcome in terms of inviting Terry. And I've actually invited her assistant coach, Danny Corman, uh, somebody that I sort of roughly know. Um, I'm, I'm worried about whether I would be able to like keep it together. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I thought that about a few of my podcasts. Yeah. Well, it's, like, it, like Terry, Terry is my idol. You know, so it's kind of like a, it's, I'm worried that it's going to be like a, you know, a uh, 14 year old ba basketball fan in 1992 interviewing Michael Jordan. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, is, is it going to be listenable for people as I go? And what else? <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> like. Uh, and I, I probably, that's probably silly. I think I probably would be professional and better than that um, when I do it. So I just need to overcome my last objection and, and invite Terry, I think is, is really the, the sound of it. I look forward to listening to the Swim Brief podcast with Terry McKeever as a guest. I think that'll be a good one to listen to. Can I, can I, can I do one more though? Yeah, Because sure. I will say, um, I would love to have Shannon Rollison. All right. Um, um, you know, mainly because I like to have a healthy amount of people with uh, non-American accents on, you know, like in America here, we like one of the my main reasons for having you on, Jamie, is that like, you know, you've got that English uh, accent. People just think like, well, this guy, you know, he's really worldly and, and smart. And, you know, so, um, uh, you know, I, I got to have more people with uh, non 
you know, uh, American vernacular accents on. That's one thing. But on a serious note, um, Shannon was somebody who um, I found hugely inspirational when I was coaching in Denmark. Um, he had a really, really huge impact on me coaching wise. I think he's really, really bright, sharp. He's got a lot of stuff that um, is a little bit unique, especially on that sort of elite edge of coaching. So I would love to have him on. Excellent. Great. So Terry McKeever and Shannon Rollison, they, uh, they're going to be appearing very soon on your podcast, right? What's up? <laughs> cool. So Obviously, I guess the, the whole reason that I came on your show, apart from your box ticking exercise, and you coming on my show, <laughs> is that so we could kind of cross-promote our podcast, and yeah. you could grow your podcast here in the UK, and I could grow our podcast in, in the US. So listeners that listen to this show, if they've managed to get to the end, which we hope they have, um, yeah. how can they find out more about your podcast, or Swim Brief, and kind of the work that, that you do? So I, you could go to my website. Um, I have podcasts there and uh, I've not blogged since November, but I actually have quite a few blogs because of things that I've uh, written up. So you can sort of search through the archives there. There's, there's years worth of that sort of stuff. It's chrisdcoach.com. So C-H-R-I-S-D as in DeSantis, like my last name, and then coach.com. I got a pretty good URL. So um um, you can go there. Um, you can listen to the podcast there. You can subscribe on iTunes. Um, you search for the swim brief. Um, and then, uh, I'm not a great user of social media, but, um, probably the, the best one to try to interact, interact with me on is, is Twitter. Um, so t Twitter, um, uh, slash CD swim coach. So, you know, my first and last initials swim coach yeah. um, is my handle there. And I would love if you interact with me, I would love to have people to interact with. Uh, I'm just uh, <laughs> just not not a natural at interacting with people on Twitter. So um, but I but I post updates there sometimes I post clips and then actually, uh, sorry, I have a YouTube as well. Yeah. Um, and you can get links to that. Uh, I don't even actually remember what my channel is called. That would be a good thing to know, but um, you know, if you go to Twitter, you'll 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 see links to it, and I post video versions of the podcast, and sometimes, you know, because I imagine myself as a one one millionth uh, audience um, swimming Joe Rogan, you know, I like to like uh, build out uh, clips and and put them on there and that, that sort of thing. So those are all um, ways you can interact with that. Great. So listeners. If you enjoyed our conversation today, then you can check out uh, check out more of Chris's podcasts um, at the details that he just mentioned. I'll make sure they're in the show notes for you. We're just going to finish on just a couple of kind of, I say quick fire questions. They're just stuff that's not really specific to your career or your show, okay. but stuff I want to find out really about, okay. about America. Um, first one, is what is with yards? Uh, I think you should look in the mirror, my friend. Uh, you know, where did we inherit this imperial system of measuring things from here but in the You US? race long course meters, so why yeah. would you not just race short course meters? Because we built all our pools <laughs> like 50, 60 years ago. Um, 
and we built them in yards and now it's too expensive to retrofit them all to short course meters. So yards is just here to stay forever. I guess the benefit to being yards is I think you produce, you can produce more skillful swimmers than when you produce them in meters. Yeah. Although, you know, my boss here, Paul, he always, he's like, um, he's a master contrarian. So I said that to him recently. He said, well, that's actually, you know, that's not necessarily true. Or I think he's referring more to, I, I was referencing that we have such a long short course season in the US. We basically compete short course from like September to March, April. Right. And then we have a long course season that's like April to July. Right. You know, um, and so that's comparatively very short yeah, uh, long course season. And part of that has to do just with the less availability of long course pools throughout um, throughout the US. But I, I do believe, I think that, you know, if you're also, if you're at a lower skill level, like one of the things that I discovered early in my coaching career was there's this, um, you're probably familiar with them because they're geographically somewhat close to the Faroe Islands are a kind of sort of part of Denmark, kind of independent, yeah. mostly independent um, country. Well, um, they've got pools all across the country, despite how sort of scattered everything is, but they're 16 and two thirds meter pools, right? <laughs> and um, and they, they, they produce quite a few good swimmers per capita there. And I, I, I've always theorized that like, you know, again, and when you're at a low skill level, like my, my daughter is seven, she's at a very low skill level swimming wise. So the, the training pool that I'm looking at right behind my screen, that one's probably only 15 yards long. That's probably even shorter than a 16 and two thirds meter pool. It's perfect size for her. Yeah, She can just barely swim from one end to the other. And so maybe there's an advantage at sort of getting people started um, in a shorter pool versus like, I can't imagine if you had people who could barely swim and the only way you could start training them was in a long course pool. That would be imagine really challenging. Learn to swim in a 50 meter pool. That would be mad. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And then my, my second question and mm -hmm. the last question, I guess, right, is whenever like swimming is on TV a lot in the US, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, is it? I don't know how much it's on TV in England. It's never on TV in the UK. Okay, never. Right? You guys don't so, get Eurosport over there. You know, you don't have a Eurosport broadcast of swimming. Yeah, we do have Eurosport, but they only show like the like when there's a, a big meet on like the Worlds or the ISL or Europeans, they'll show that. Yeah, but like your collegiate program is on ESPN sometimes, right? Well, yeah, but it's on like an online streaming version of ESPN. Yeah, I mean. Still ESPN. Uh, okay, anyway, go, go <laughs> with your, I'm sorry I'm ruining your whole question. Go ahead. Just like swimming just seems to be so much bigger and more professional in the US than it is, I would say, in most other countries around the world. What do you think's driven that? I just think something that's unique about the US is how mad we are about sports. Which is another thing that I noticed coaching in Denmark is that first off, like, yeah, what is swimming is probably like the 14th most popular sport in the US or something like that. You know, like if you'd sort of get onto the, it probably depends on it, probably the most popular sport if you count like all the people that do any kind of competitive yeah. swimming in the US, like 
uh, this is really interesting. USA Swimming has a couple, you know, a few hundred thousand members, right? But if you start counting all the people that do high school swimming in the US, all the people that compete in some sort of what we'd call like a recreational league or a summer league, you get into like a four or five million people we have in the US that are doing competitive swimming. So, um, you know, I would say we're, we're a sport mad country. Um, we like we like competition in a way that I don't think many other countries love competition. Like I, I didn't think people in Denmark had that natural love of competition. There was also sort of some, some sort of shaming, like if you did too well, you know, <laughs> like people really love to chop you down to size in a way that in the US is probably, probably unique in the world in terms of a country where when you're successful, you can kind of like really beat your chest and go like, yeah, <laughs> I'm the man, you know, like, whereas that sort of like, that is not necessarily a, a cultural value. And, and I think sometimes, you know, that that probably is something that doesn't endear us to the rest of the world. But in terms of sport, I think it, it's a huge advantage, because you, you need a little bit of that spirit uh, when you're competing. Cool. And I guess following on from that, actually, my my last question when you have like the NFL yeah. or baseball, yeah. the MLB, I think that's cool. Yeah. Can, when you have like the Super Bowl, why do they call themselves the world champions when you're the only country that takes part? I mean, do, does anyone think that a football team from anywhere else could beat the NFL champions? Well, that's because no one else plays American football than Americans. <laughs> and, and I'm pretty sure that the, you know, whoever wins the Japanese league is, is not going to beat, you know, the uh, world series champion. So, I mean, I, it is again, I'm not denying it's completely arrogant. It's <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's completely arrogant, but on the other hand, we do have, you know, we definitely don't call the winner of the MLS the world champion in soccer. We're smart that would be ludicrous, wouldn't it? Yes, because <laughs> that would be too far. We do know, we do know that the team that wins the MLS is like equivalent to you know, like the second division in in a major European country. So we've got that part down. <laughs> cool. Well. Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show. And, um, you know, once again, to the listeners, if you enjoyed our conversation, then Chris has got 120 of these over on his platform. Um, <laughs> so make sure you go and check those out, all the yep. information in the show notes. Um, so, yeah, thank you to Chris for coming on the show. And thank you to the listeners for, for tuning in again this, this week. Um, we're going to take maybe a week's break before rounding off the series. I've just got to... Uh, well, my poor preparation has led to the fact that I haven't actually got a guest for the final episode of the series yet. So, you know, if you're listening and you want to come on the show, then get in touch because I need an episode 10 for this series because otherwise it would just annoy me if I finish it on episode nine. Um, thank you for listening. If you liked it, share it through your coaching network. Uh, make sure you get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Poolside Pass. And of course, our website, www.thepoolsidepass.com. Until next time, take care.